Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. Pastor Derek Alvarez is a rabid Raiders fan, uh, probably more of a Raiders fan than I am a Chargers fan, and um, he's very loyal, and I, I admire that. Um, and we had a little bet, and whoever's team lost had to call the other person daddy for seven days. So Derek lost, and he had to call me daddy for the last seven days. But Derek is a crafty little guy. He's not a little guy, he's a big guy. He's a crafty guy. And um, he planned it, and he actually took his week of vacation this week, so he wasn't in the office for me to <laughs> torment him. But he's at church today. Hi, Derek. Hi, Daddy. <laughs> so anyways, instead of amens, I might just say, right, Derek? So Yes, Daddy. <laughs> anyways, I want to invite you guys to something before we get into God's word. Um, I'm doing something, uh, Pastor Bob Willis at North Park Community Church and several of the churches in this north area of Fresno and Clovis, we get together and we pray and we have fellowship and we're all good friends. We have each other's backs. And he does something every year and he's been challenging me for the last five years to do it. But he said, Sean, challenge your people and you do it. Do 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, So starting uh, tomorrow, for 21 days, I'm going to pray and fast. Now, I'm not going to be fasting food for 21 days because you wouldn't like me. I'm an angry little elf when I don't eat for that long. So, um, but I am going to be fasting uh, all media, social media, television, radio, all of that. And, here, and I don't say that to get applause, okay? Here, here's what I'm saying. is Sometimes we need to take something in our life that takes a lot of our time and set it down and take that time and give it to God. And that's really all I'm doing. So I would encourage you. Find something that you can fast. Maybe it's food. Maybe you're fasting a meal every day. Or maybe you're fasting once a week. Or maybe you're going to fast for a week. Or maybe you're hardcore and you're going 21 days and it's the new Daniel plan. Or whatever you're doing. But I want to encourage you, start the year right. And, and give time that you would have been doing something that's moderately productive or not productive at all. And give that time to God. And here's what I can promise you. He will bless you for doing it. So it starts um, at sundown today, and I encourage you to, to step into that. But here's the deal. We have freedom in Christ, so you don't have to fast at all. Amen? <laughs> and all the Baptists said, yeah. Anyways, so um, we're, we're getting into James chapter 2, and I want to, um, it's been a while. We've taken a couple weeks off of James, and I want to give you just a little preface of where we've been so you understand where we're going. Um, a couple, about three weeks ago, Pastor Steve Davidson uh, preached a gem out of James chapter 1. He got to the latter part of James 1. And it talked about the poor. And um, I, I, want, I want to read it to you really quick because it sets up where we're going. It says in James 1.27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And um, Pastor Steve did a, a great job of, of pointing out the, the, this simple fact that uh, many times within Christianity, you, and it's pretty typical of Americans, is we, we're a very either-or culture. You're either Democrat or you're Republican. You're Raider fan or you're a Charger fan. You're this or you're that. And we like to put people in camps. 
you're a liberal, you're a conservative, you're a Baptist, you're a Presbyterian. Like, that's just what we like to do. But the truth of the matter is, none of us like to be put in those boxes. We love to put everyone else in those boxes, but when someone says it to you, you go, no, no, I'm much more complex than that. And it is true. And typically, what you, you find, the stereotype is, is that in um, churches that are really passionate about social justice and caring for the widows and the orphans and the poor, you know, they will um, disparage churches that are really passionate about keeping oneself polluted from the world. And, then, and this group will disparage that group. This group will say, oh, well, they don't have the heart of Christianity. Don't you read that verse? True religion is caring for the orphan, the widow, the poor. But then when they get to their the people's uh, personal lives, they go, oh, but, you know, we're all free to do whatever we want. You know, and God doesn't judge you. And you're, and, and you're good. So whatever you decide is right for you is right for you. And whatever's right for me is right for me. And we're not going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about the poor, caring for the poor, social justice. Those people over there, they're just religious Pharisees and they're terrible. And then these people on this side, they're like, those people are liberals. They don't believe the Bible. They don't care about personal righteousness. They don't care about evangelism. And they, do, they have this war going on. And here's what I want you to understand about the gospel. The gospel flies 20 miles over that. Because the truth of the matter, what James was saying, is it's both. And we live in a culture where we like to do an either or. And here's what I want you to know about scripture. It's going to challenge that every time. And if you're looking at someone saying, you're a liberal, or you're looking at saying, oh, you conservatives, here's what I want you to know. The scripture will offend you every time because it flies so much higher than that. So, are you ready to be offended? Let's go. We're going to read from James chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13. My friend Roxanne is going to come out right now, and she's going to read from the word of the Lord. I would love it, in honor of God's word, if you would rise to your feet for God's word. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, your sin, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to say good morning to everyone that's listening online right now. And um, if you have your outline, go ahead and pull that out. And we're just going to get right to it. Number one is this. When we read this passage, it is very clear that we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. And... Um, 
That's a, that's a pretty obvious statement when you, when you read that. Um, the scripture is very clear on it, that everyone is equal in God's eyes. Um, and if you look at verse 1, it says it. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And this passage, right, is about, you know, if a rich guy comes in, don't give him the reclining chair and, you know, tell the poor guy to go sit out in the pavilion, right? So really, you read this passage, and you're like, oh, this is a passage for all the church ushers. They need to read this and learn it and do it, and we move on. But I need you to understand something. It's, it's something bigger than that. See, being, every culture looks at Jesus, looks at the Bible through its own cultural lens, Okay, And every one of those lenses are smudged. We don't see truth as clearly as we could. I'll be honest. You and I are 21st century Americans. And we see the Bible, we see God's word through our own cultural lens. And some of it is very clear and some of it is very smudged. So when we read a passage about everyone being um, equal, we go, yeah, amen. Because that's a very American Value. E equality is a huge thing to us. As a matter of fact, it, it, it's, it, it's probably one of the biggest things. So we read it and go, well, yeah, duh. But you have to have, is that whole concept, the world that we live in, and human history that we are part of, is that whole concept of people being equal, men and women being on the same ground, uh, poor and rich being on the same ground, different races being at, at, at the same place, was a completely radical idea. And the first place in human history where human beings are said to be equal was in this book right here. As a matter of fact, when the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago wrote, in Christ there's neither slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female, all or one, everyone reading it went, what? That's ridiculous. But today we read it and go, duh. And do you know why? It's because your worldview, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, has been shaped by Jesus. And equality, equality is a big thing. But here's, here's the problem with equality. Sometimes we, our, our cultural lens of seeing everyone as equal is, yes, everyone is equal, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're... Um, black or white or uh, Hispanic or Asian, um, Martian, whatever you are. You're all, we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. But what we've done as a culture is we've taken equality further than, than what, what's logical. And then we start saying that all views are, are equal as well. And all views are not equal. There are some views in this world that are inferior there are some views in this world that are wrong. And fallacies don't cease to be fallacies when they become fashionable. See, I have a friend, and um, awesome dude. I love this guy. He's a, a great friend. Um, he's very, um, he's not a believer. Uh, he's an Australian citizen, but he's also a U.S. citizen. And he's just real brilliant. And he's a CEO of a tech company. And he's, he's, he's very progressive in his thinking, and we were talking one day, and he said something about missionaries. His, bro his brother-in-law is a missionary, and he goes, and I don't get missionaries. I think the whole thing is terrible, to be honest. It's like a, a, a terrible idea. It's a bad thing. I think they're bad people. And I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. What do you mean? Yeah, I come from the church where missionaries are like the Navy SEALs. Like, whoa, go get them, you know, kind of thing. Right? And he, I go, what, what do you mean, dude? And he's like, he goes, yeah, they're terrible. It's stupid. And I go, why? He goes, well, you're, you're taking... Your culture 
and you're impressing it upon another culture. And you're eradicating another culture. You're telling them, you know, that our culture is better. And, and you're, you're wiping out cultures with missionaries. And I was like, okay I, okay, I remember this argument from college. You're totally right. I go, but what if that culture is bad? He goes, well, who are you to judge that it's bad? And I said, okay, I get that. I get that. I go, here's the deal, though. I have a friend. His name is Brad. He was a missionary to the Itiri people in Papua New Guinea for 25 years. When he first got to the Itiri tribe, part of their culture, it was their part of the, who they were and how they operated. It was a tradition. When any girl turned 12 years old, the men of the village would take the girl out into the jungle and rape her repeatedly. Part of their culture, it was a noble thing to beat your wife and make sure that she wasn't getting out of line. It was considered a noble thing. Even the women thought it was okay. I go, 25 years later, 90% of that tribe are believers in Jesus. No one gets raped anymore. You see men now put their arms around their wives and show affection, which was considered a bad thing 25 years before. Is it always terrible to import culture? Oh, that's an extreme example. It is an extreme example. But the truth of the matter is, all views are not equal. All people are equal. We're all sinners. Your sin is no worse than my sin. I'm not a better person than you. But ideas and views are not equal. And that's the truth of the matter. But our culture has said they are, and if you disagree, you're a bigot. You have to understand that. And people, though are loved by God and they are equal. Regardless of, of, of race or creed or whatever it is, that God has put them all and that we'll all be judged by the same standard. And see, I, lo I love what it says because James, when, when he reads this in 2.1, James is really good about, he, he's, he's a Jewish man. He's the kid brother of Jesus. Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't European, right? And James was very Jewish. And James, it was so interesting about James. The more I read the book of James, I've been mowing through it. I've been writing my own translation of the book of James now, and you'll never get to read it because it's garbage. Uh, it's probably heresy, so don't worry about asking. And um, here, here's, here's the thing, though. As the more I, I get into the book of James, I realize, you ever had like that person you were so close to in your life that their phrases and their views and their sayings just become who you are and you don't know when you're quoting them or when you're, you thought of it yourself? This is James with Jesus, and this is James with the Bible. Jesus was the same way. Jesus was always quoting the Old Testament. It just came out of him. He didn't cite it. He didn't say, you know, it says in Leviticus 12, 19. He didn't do that kind of thing. It was just part of who he was. James was the same way. James, sometimes he's, he's saying something, and he might have think, thought it was an original idea, but the truth of the matter is Jesus had been saying it his whole life. It just became part of who James was. And you find this in this book the deeper you get into it. But James references the Old Testament in verse 1. See, um, I know there's a lot of Christians out there that'll, that'll say, well, I don't like the Old Testament. It's full of violence and oppression, and it's, it's, it's bad, and I don't believe in the Old Testament. I only believe in the New Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. And I know some people are like, I don't even believe that. I only believe in the red letters in the Bible, only the ones Jesus spoke. And that is awesome. That is a great place to start. As a matter of fact, if that's where you're at, I'm glad you're there even. Okay, but here's what I want you to know. Jesus, whenever he referred to the scripture, he believed the whole thing was the Bible. So if he believed the whole thing was the Bible, I'm going to go with his opinion over yours. 
And I'm just going to put it out there that maybe your opinion is inferior to Jesus's. And that one doesn't stand on equal ground. I'm just saying, okay? But James, in James 2.1, he's referencing what happens in Leviticus 19. See, God told the, the, his people when they moved into the promised land, he gave them these laws. He said, you're going to act this way. You're going to be this way. He was creating a culture for them. And part of their culture was treating people fairly, which didn't happen in the ancient world. It was always the people at the top were on top, and they oppressed everyone to keep them down. But look what, what God told the Israelites. When you, this is the people you're supposed to be. He says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. See, the early Christians, they, they, they fell into the same trap. They started putting people on different ground that if you're a Jew, you're a little better. If you're a Jewish Christian, you're a little closer to God just by, by birth. And because we have the circumcision and the traditions and all that. And all these, these Jewish Christians started falling prey to it. And the Gentile Christians were like, well, I guess I'll, I'll fall into it. And they started falling in, you know, following the, the customs, thinking those customs were what was going to get them into heaven. The customs were what made them God's people. It wasn't what was going to get him into heaven. And even Peter fell into it. And then Peter had an epiphany. And he said in um, Acts 10.34, he said, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That we all stand on equal ground. The Apostle Paul wrote it 2,000 years ago to a church in Rome. He said, he said for God does not show favoritism in, in Romans 2.11. See, so, so we all stand on equal ground at the foot of the cross. We're, we're all s- sinners, and it doesn't matter if your sin is big or small. We're all standing there at the same, okay? So that leads me to point number two. And number two is probably the most important point in the whole, the whole, whole sermon. You have to understand it, and it's the royal law. I want to talk to you about the royal law because the royal law is really important, huh, Derek? Yes, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> so look, look what it says in verse 8. He, he's, just, he's just explained about, you know, you don't show favoritism and how that's, that's a sin. And then he gets to verse 8 and he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture. So if you have a Bible, you should underline that part, royal law, because that's very important. He's, he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, you, you sin and you're a lawbreaker is what he, what he says. So... So here's, here's the deal. Jesus, they came to him and they were asking him, what's the most important verse in the whole, whole Bible? What's the most important verse in the whole Bible? And see, if you went to Sunday school, you'd know the right answer, right? All of them. You grew up in Sunday school, right? There are only three answers in Sunday school. And if you, you, you had a one in three chance of being right every time. Who created the world? Jesus, God, the Bible. Who loves you? Jesus, God. So really you had a one-third chance of being wrong. The Bible. Who's the truth? Jesus, God, the Bible. You're right every time. You, you know, you're right on that one with all three. But, but here's the thing. They come to Jesus, and in Matthew chapter uh, 23, in Matthew, Matthew 23, they come to him and they say, what, what's the most important verse in the whole Bible? And Jesus, really, he, 
I've heard a lot of pastors say this. When he said it, he shocked a lot of people. He didn't. Um, it, it was the typical Jew would have agreed with him. He, lo- he, he says in verse 37, he says, Jesus replied, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. If you have the old King James Version, it says likened unto it. If you were to read it in its original language, probably the best way to translate that phrase, likened unto it, is the second is just like it. It's equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, okay, the law is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And the prophets, that's the other part of the scripture, hang on these verses. And all the Jews would have went, well played. Good answer. Because every day they recite something called the Shema. Everyone say Shema. Shema means listen or hear in, in, in Hebrew. And they would, they, they would recite this phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God and with all your heart, with all your soul. Um, and they, they had this prayer they would recite. As a matter of fact, on every door, the Bible says, write it on your hands, put it on your forehead, put it on your doorpost. And in every doorpost you go to in Jerusalem, there's a little box and um, in this little box, that Shema is written there. And as you walk out of your house, it's kind of meant that you touch it with your left hand. And it's to remind you, because your left hand is closest to your heart, that hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. To remind you to do that. I have one on my door as I walk out. And when I remember, I touch it. If you want one, I'm sure that your local Christian bookstore has it or Amazon, okay? So a bunch of people are like, where do I get one of those? Or come to Israel with me next year. It'll be awesome, okay? But Jesus answered. He said, you want, you want the whole Bible summed up into a couple sentences? It's this. You, you want to you do this? It's love God, love others. Can we do that? Ready? That's pretty good. You guys are way better than the other two services. Right, Derek? Yes, Daddy. Okay. So, this is why we exist as a church. You have to understand that. Is we're here to, to go make disciples, new disciples, baptize them, and then teach them to love God and love others. And the way we teach them to do that is the only way to teach someone to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and to love others the way God would is with this book right here. See, because if we use the world's technique of how to love God and love others, then what happens is, is we only love God when he gives us good things and we only love other people when it's convenient for us because that's how the world views love. But when you get into this book, it starts challenging that at its very core, and it challenges us and teaches us to love God and love others in the right way. And here's the truth of the matter. I've spent my whole life figuring out how to love God better and love others better. And that's why we exist as a church. See, sometimes it's hard to love others. Now... For most of us, when we hear love God, love others, we go, yeah, yeah, that's awesome, right? But that's on our terms. I want to love God on my terms, you know, how I want to do it and what my expression of love is. And I want to love other people on my terms. As a matter of fact, I want to love my neighbor and I'm going to create my own little neighborhood in my life where there's only people I like in it. 
But the truth of the matter is, they asked Jesus once, they said, well, who's my neighbor? And he goes, that's funny, you should ask that. Let me tell you a story about a guy. He was on his way to Jericho. He was a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. Not just like Raider Charger hate. Like deep-seated hatred. Racial hatred. Ethnic hatred. He said there was a Samaritan. And he got raw, or, or actually it wasn't a Samaritan, it was a guy, it was a Jew. And he got robbed, he was beaten, and he was left for dead. And a priest came by and saw him and was like, oh, it looks like you're going to die. I can't touch a dead man. A Levite walked by and said, oh, I have to go to temple. I can't do it. But then a Samaritan came. All right? And then all their blood began to boil. Like, what? And the Samaritan took care of him and, and helped him and then brought him to an inn and paid the innkeeper to take care of him while he couldn't be there. And then Jesus said, so who's the better neighbor? And you know what's so funny? The Jews that were listening at the time... They couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That guy. The one who took care of him. That guy. See, now, Jesus is much kinder and more compassionate because I would have been like, and who was he? We don't know his name, Rabbi. What kind of person was he? Say it, Samaritan. See, I, I'm just not as gracious as Jesus, huh, huh Derek? Yes, Daddy. Anyways. So, so here's the deal. Loving your neighbor, Jesus was saying, who do you hate? Who do you not like? Who gets under your skin? Could it be for you to love your neighbor, you could be someone who, um, you spend a good part of your day online reading Huffington Post and all whatever, um, liberal organizations are putting, democracy now, all that. And to you, like, you know, oh, all those people on the right, man, they are just rednecks, they're racist, they hate America, they hate the planet, they're evil people, we got to get them out of power. And, and, and you're looking at them, and there's nothing redeeming coming from that group over there. My uncle's like one of them, I can't believe, you know. And then you're over here on the other side, which is probably most of you from Clovis, and you're over here and you're like, man, those people are trying to take our guns, they hate God, they're taking God out of out of schools, that, you know, they're, 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 they, they, don't, they don't believe in Jesus or this or that, and then, and then, you know, I listen to four hours a day of this guy on the AM radio, and uh, woohoo, guy in first service did shoot a gun in service, it was crazy, he's like, amen, and those people are ruining America, and Jesus says, who's your neighbor? See, the gospel flies so much higher, and it calls you as a Christian to fly higher, way higher. So in the world we live in right now that's so deeply divided, you've been called to fly higher because the gospel calls out the evils in both, and it praises the good on both sides. So that leads me to point three. Love wins. Love wins. So, I, when, when I was in India, I, you know, the, the, the Christians in India are no different than us in many ways. It's so funny, because I, I listen to Indian pastors talk, they're like, 
oh, everyone shows up late for our churches. And I was like, oh, that's funny. I know how that works. So it's a human thing, right? You know, or, oh, you know, oh, we can't get people to commit. Oh, it's so different in India. I go, no, it's no different. Trust me. People are people. Um, but, but while they're there, you know, they see God and the gospel and everything through their cultural lens as well. And one of the things they have is a caste system there. And my friend Jonaman, who is a, uh, he's a pastor there, and he's literally trained thousands of men and women to plant churches. There's thousands of churches in India because of what God's used this man to do. Just an incredibly humble man. And he came and spoke here once. I interviewed him. Um, and we'll have him again when he's back in the States. But I, I remember because they see the scripture through the caste system. And in, in, in his life, um, so the caste system is based on kind of on karma and reincarnation. So if you lived a really good life previously, you probably are going to make it and you're going to become what's called a Brahmin. That's the top of the, the, the food chain in India. And if you're a Brahmin, you're wealthy, you're powerful, you really can get away with a lot, um, you can do a lot, you have a lot of opportunity in your life. And what they believe is, well, they're Brahmins because they were good in a previous life and their family was good in a previous life and that's how it is and you let them do what they need to do and karma will get them if they're bad. And then you go down the line, there's all these different castes and then you have animals. Animals are part of the caste. And then right beneath animals, there's another group called Dalits. And if you were born into the Dalit caste, you are subhuman, is what they would say. You're worse than an animal. You're less than an animal. Animals are more valuable than you. My friend Jonaman was born into the Dalit caste. And his whole life, he was told, you'll never amount to anything. You're going to be poor. You're going to be marginalized. You're going to be oppressed. This is what his mother and father believe. This is what his grandparents believe. His grandparents, grandparents, just on and on and on. And um, then along came a church in his neighborhood. And as a, as a young boy, his mother and father began to hear the message of the gospel saying that everyone's on equal ground. And the caste system is wicked. And it's not what God has. It's not God's will for your life to stay at the bottom, that there's more for you. And his mother and father became believers in Jesus because they were attracted to the message of Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand. Um, that this is why the early church exploded during intense oppression. This is why the church is exploding in Southeast Asia during intense oppression. This is why the church explodes because it tells people, hey, we're all on the same page. And love wins. And I love what it says in this last, last two verses, verse 12 and 13. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. See, here's the truth of the matter. The Bible's really clear. We're all on equal ground. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone has sinned. We're all sinners. Look at your neighbor and say, sinner. That Satan, right? You're a sinner. We all are. I am too. And my sin is no, I'm, I'm no, you know, sometimes we play the comparison game. We're like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. It doesn't matter, you know. That's like bench pressing more than your grandma. You know? I'm not Hitler. We're super good at that because we're human. We like to play the comparison game. But the truth of the matter is we've all sinned. And, and the Bible is really clear in the book of Romans about our sin. It says, for the wages of sin, what you will get paid for is what you deserve. The wages of your sin 
is death. I'm just here to encourage you. <laughs> the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. And then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So, so here's what you need to understand. What we deserve is eternal separation from God. It's that easy. Whether it's for a big sin or a little sin. And James is talking about that. If you break one law, you've broken them all. I mean, you know, I, I'm a good guy, but I'm a thief. I want you to know that. Because I may or may not have at nine years old stolen a fishing lure from Kmart that my dad caught me and made me give it back to the manager. And I cried because he pretended to call the cops. That may or may not have happened to me. But listen. If I did do that, here's what I can tell you. I'm a thief. And no matter how many good deeds I do, how much I give away, I'm still a thief. That sin doesn't go away. But it says, but the gift of God is eternal life for those in Christ Jesus. And what that means is this, is that you, the Bible is very clear. But as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. That when you receive Jesus, you get two things, and they're different. I don't know if you know this. Mercy is different than grace. Did you know that? So mercy is, mercy is not getting what you deserve. What are the wages of sin? What should we be paid? Yeah, eternal separation from God. Right? But mercy is not getting what you deserve. So when you open your heart and you receive Christ and you become a believer in Jesus and you believe that, that his death paid for your sins, you get God's mercy and forgiveness for your past sins, your present sins, and the sins you're going to commit at Chipotle this afternoon. Okay? But grace is something different. Grace is the game changer. Because some of you, you just receive mercy all the time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And you never stop to receive God's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is getting what you deserve, not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God's grace is the game changer because it comes into your life and it begins to change the way you think. It changes who you are. It changes how you treat other people. It empowers you to live the life that God's made you to live. And this is the message we've, this church has been about for 25 years. Last January, we started this campaign called Focus 2020. And in it, we, we set a faith goal as a church. We said, hey, we want to see... We want to raise $2.1 million. We want to see 2,500 first-time decisions for Christ. A 1,000 people get baptized, and people started scoffing. They said, oh, you're all about the numbers. And I said, you bet I'm about the numbers. There's a whole book in the stinking Bible called Numbers, people. You don't think God counted? Every person that gives their life to Christ is a soul that is connected to God now for eternity. And last time I checked this year, we saw over 417 first-time decisions for Christ because many of you stepped out to do that. So, so, so what we challenged the church was this. We said there's three things we're challenging you guys to do. And I'm here to remind you. And if you're new, I'm here to let you in on what God's been doing here because this place has been blowing up since. We challenge people. We said, we want you to grow. 
Grow in your knowledge of how to share your faith. Grow in your knowledge of who God is, how to love God and love others. And the way we grow is really simple. Um, first and foremost, we challenge everyone to learn to share their faith. We have a class called 401. You can sign up for it. We off, we're offering it right now, as a matter of fact. You can do that. You can get in a growth group and begin to study this book. As a matter of fact, for some of you, you're new to the faith, and this is what you need more than anything. And we have growth groups that actually will study the same passage that's preached on on Sunday. So you can drive God's word deeper into your heart. Now, some of you, you've been studying the Bible for a long time, and you know the Bible really well, and you're super good at it. And um, I'll be honest with, the, with, with you. Um, some of you have been like, ah, that's too easy. We want to do something different. We want to go deeper. I want to challenge you this year. Could it be maybe God needs you to get in a group because you know the Bible so well and you could be blessing some of those younger Christians with your knowledge? I got a guy in my growth group who's old as dirt and he knows the Bible better than me and I watched him do it this, this Tuesday morning. So maybe it's go sign up for a growth group. So it was grow and then it was go. It was go and serve at some of these evangelistic events that we did. And we, we did a bunch of them, and, and people came to know Jesus. This year, we've got a bunch more. I'll tell you about one of the big ones that's coming that I'm really excited for. Two weeks after Easter, April 15th, best-selling New York Times author and speaker, Lee Strobel, will be here sharing his testimony about the case for faith. We're going to have a whole evangelistic apologetic series six weeks after, afterwards talking about the toughest questions that people ask in the Bible. And we're going to take them head on and we're going to be honest about them. And your friends that are on the fence or are skeptical or, or maybe they believe but they're far from God, this is, that is a great time where you can reach out to them. I had a guy last service, he brought his buddy from work. He's like, you got to come to my church, dude. You guys see this. And he, and he came, and he came forward at the end of the service, and he received Christ, and he got his light bulb and went up there. This is what I'm talking about, going and being the church. He was being the church. I had a woman this morning come up to me, and she said, you know, I'm divorced, and God's just led me. I want to take my, my old wedding ring, and I'm going to go sell it, and I'm going to give it to that, that uh, woman the pastor last week was talking about. Can I do that? And I said, you don't need to ask my permission. To grow and then to go. We set out over three years from 2017 to 2020 to plant three churches. Well, we planted three churches and we're probably planting two more this year, by the way. I didn't hear from God correctly, sorry. It's gonna be five, who knows, maybe it'll be 10, I don't know. But going and serving at those, I went to the gathering, one of our church plants on Christmas Eve day. I, I played hooky here during the nine o'clock service and I went out to see what they were doing. And it was so cool, because I looked out in the crowd, and at least a third of the room were Clovis Hills people. But they're not Clovis Hills people anymore. They're the gathering now. And see, here's the thing. God sometimes calls you to a church, but sometimes he calls you through a church. And the truth of the matter is, you're not my people. You are God's people. And we're not here to build my church. We're here to build his church. And I looked out and I saw those people and they were perfect because I challenged them to go and they went. That's an awesome thing. We celebrate that. Don't ever be like, you left us. If you have that mentality, maybe you should go. You could use your seat at 1040. Here's the deal. It was grow in your knowledge. Go, be the church, and give. And the people of this church sacrificed and pledged over and above for three years. They pledged $1.6 million, over and above their normal giving. I 
want you to know that. So some of you, check, check it out. Some of you, you came to Jesus this year or you came home to Jesus this year. And part of it was because of your brothers and sisters. They loved you. And they sacrificed Starbucks or they sacrificed, you know, I know one family gave up a year of retirement. They were going to retire and they said, now let's go another year. We'll give it all to God. You just, they made those sacrifices because they love you. And here, here's the deal. If you're new, you're free to jump on board and be part of that. And you're free not to. You're free to observe. We have a no guilt policy here. If you, you know, we had people that for the Focus 2020, they're like, no, nah, not for me. And there was no guilt. We didn't like call and be like, so how come you're not giving to the Focus 2020 initiative? Do you not love Jesus? That's stupid. We don't do that. I had one guy come to me and he, was, he goes, Sean, I pledged this money, but my wife left me and I'm with my kids and we lost half our income and I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I'm going to believe God's going to give it to me, but I don't know. What do I do? And I said, dude, don't worry about it. There's freedom in Christ. If you have it, you do it. If you don't, you don't. But you be grateful in all circumstances. See, this is the thing Jesus gives you. It's freedom. For some of you, Today's the day you receive mercy, the forgiveness of your sins, and the grace. And, you're, and all you have to do is open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, come in and forgive me. And then, I, and then lay down your life. Like, okay, God, I've been doing things my way, but I'm going to go your way now. And you may not even know what God's way looks like. That's called faith. For some of you, following Jesus is like standing on the edge of a cliff and all you see is darkness. And you hear him yell a faint voice saying, jump, jump. And you're like, Lord, I don't know what I'm jumping into. I can't see you. Here's what I would tell you. Out of the darkness, you'll hear the voice of God and he'll say, jump anyways, because I can see you and I will catch you. Maybe God's called you to that today. Let's pray.